Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is there a paranormal flap area in western Kentucky? Could there be a connection between UFOs, cryptids, and ghost phenomena reported from there? Could there be a military connection? Hello and welcome to the 676th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Uh, I am Ben. And uh, we, and this is my father, Paul, and we are here on WOON 1240 AM 99.3 FM, and this is our 11th year on the air. And those strange questions will be answered by our guest. And today, we bring you a new guest on a flap area. Um, we're just getting... Okay, are you able to hear me now? Oh yeah, we can hear you. We're also live on the air, so <laughs> don't jump ahead of us. So today we yeah, bring you... A- will help. Yeah, so we we will we're uh, we're bringing on a new guest, and uh, you just heard him now, so we kind of skipped the surprise. But uh, the our number is to the call Let today. Let me know if, you if you're able to hear me at this point. Uh, we can hear you. Can you hear us? All right. Well, anyway, we'll just continue with the intro here. This is unusual. Uh, anyway, our number is today four zero one seven six six one two four zero from anywhere. I send emails during or after the show to Paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Uh, just as well as our, our guest is a few minutes delayed because uh, we want to offer wishes for a happy Veterans Day to our U.S. listeners. I do happy, not hear you, no. Okay, a happy um, Remembrance Day for our British, Canadian, and Australian and other Commonwealth listeners. If you have anything, thank a veteran or a serving military member today, whatever country you have. Okay, now I'm hearing country. something. Okay, it's also the 100th anniversary of the end of World War One. Uh, there's also hope that someone, I guess there's always hope that someone remembers history so that it may never happen again. You know, that's why it's so important to study history, because um, George Santayana, the philosopher, was right. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Let's stop doing that. Uh, one more word, too, on the terrible California fires. We have a lot of listeners there, and the, the poor folks are, are, have suffered enough out there. And uh, it's really, um, we just send our, our prayers and, and best wishes and uh, hopes for a quick resolution to that crisis uh, in California. So uh, coming to us via Skype, we hope, today is paranormal researcher, author, and artist Steve E. Asher. Uh, Steve served for over 40 years, of, uh, 40 years, 10 years in law enforcement. I don't make him any older than, than he is. Over, uh, well, any older than me, that is. Um, for over 10 years in law enforcement and is a correctional officer, a longtime paranormal researcher. Steve is a native of western Kentucky, our area of interest for today. He is the author of Hauntings at the Western Lunatic Asylum, which is, believe it or not, is a real place, and Hauntings at the Kentucky State Penitentiary, where Steve actually worked. Uh, his website, https, uh, slash, uh, double slash, dot com. S-T-E-V-E-E-A-S-H-E-R.com. So, Steve Asher, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hey, guys, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Well, that was one of the most interesting intros we've ever done. I think. Yeah, yeah, I apologize for that. I had, uh, yeah. I had a, a, a knob turned in the wrong direction. That's okay. Anybody can make a mistake. So go ahead, Ben. Uh, take us away. I shall. So we couldn't help but notice that the uh, Western Lunatic Asylum is in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, and that's where you know the famous UFO Green Men incident took place in 1955. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about that case? Or a lot, if you will. Or a lot, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. Like I said, the uh, the, the Kelly uh, Green Man thing is sort of funny because 
<clears throat> there's an area that goes from right around Hopkinsville down into the Land Between the Lakes area, which I'm kind of in the tail end of that, and it goes also all the way down to around Stanford, Kentucky, where there was another famous UFO case. And um, it's just sort of, I kind of call it the uh, Kentucky Triangle. And the thing about the Kelly case is uh, it was sort of, uh, it, was, it was a really strange situation. These were like tenant farmers. These guys were very, very simple, uh, aquarian type, you know, or, or uh, agricultural types. And, um, you know, I don't even think they owned a television or anything like that, a phone or any of that. They were, they were very, very basic in regards of uh, their, you know, way of living. And it was a night in August of 55, and all heck broke loose. You know, it was a thing where they started having uh, someone who went out. There was a couple people that were in, and this is the Sutton family. Uh, which is connected to Geraldine Stiff, who's actually written some books about this. I think you know her. Oh yeah, she's been and on the show several times. Her, yes, yes, she's she's actually uh, was a quite a big help on my first book, Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, uh-huh. and also the Hauntings of the Western Lunatic Asylum. Um, but she had told me that her father and his friend Billy and all of them had started seeing something going across the sky. It was sort of a silverish-looking, glowing ship. And it left sort of a colorful trail, almost, uh, I won't say like a rainbow so much, but almost like you would look at oil and water when light hits it. It was just sort of a very strange signature behind it. Hmm. And uh, initially, they, you know, they were all kind of confused by it. They didn't really believe it. <clears throat> and the grandmother had come out and kind of poked her head out and saw some of what was going on. And there's actually a a small silvery creature and I'm sure you've seen some of the adaptations and drawings of of what they think this thing looks like you know it was probably about a meter tall and kind of conish ears almost to me it almost looked like like the uh, what was the movie uh, Stitch what was it called Lilo and Stitch movie oh, but yeah. it had longer oh, yeah. yes. arms it had from Disney yeah, yeah it had hooked too. fingers yeah but at that point, they became, of course, scared, and everybody goes, "Well, why, why in the world did they want to start shooting at something? Because they don't know what it is. You know, this is, you know, not that long, really, after you know World War II and all the different stuff, and they don't know what's coming coming down the pike. You know, they're just like, we don't know you. We're telling you to get out of here. We're going to take a shot at you. So, uh, apparently, as the report goes, they had uh, went inside and got some rifles and started taking shots at it, which the the uh, the bullets would just bounce off with sort of a metallic tinging or boinging sound, uh, and they did that enough, you know, to try to kind of hold them at bay enough to get an opening to hightail it into Hopkinsville, which was about 12 miles south of Kelly, Kentucky. To which, when they got there, they had found the sheriff and some other local law enforcement. So, you know, they're coming up here, and of course they're going to, you know, even even here locally, uh, especially back in the day, it was a very uh, pretty much Presbyterian, very simple. Let's keep, you know, let's not for not for flights of fancy folks. You know what I mean? And so here they go up in here and thinking, well, okay, maybe these guys are whatever, you know, got a hold of some hooch or something. Which uh, the grandmother had actually, who had been one of the most uh, trusted of all the witnesses, said that you know she did not allow alcohol in her home. There was nothing of that nature in the home. No one had been biting in any of that. So that kind of took care of that. But they went up there, checking everything out, and they couldn't find 
footprints. They couldn't find, you know, any real uh, evidence of anything other than, you know, shot up shutters and hose and screen doors and, and things like that. Uh, because there's at one point where, you know, they were asking everybody, and of course, just like me being a southerner, I talk fast. Uh, just like uh, <laughs> they, everyone had to, I keep, I keep forgetting. Yeah, I keep forgetting that I that, I'm, that I talk with. That's okay. But, I, um, I do the same thing. We all talk pretty okay. fast. <laughs> well, I get. Well, I get excited. I'm sorry. Uh, that's the thing. You well, I'm glad you're excited to be with us. <laughs> but but uh, sorry for the interruption. Go ahead. It's fascinating. No, no, it's totally fine. Uh, yeah, keep me, keep me, uh, keep me on the road, guys. But um, growing up in this area, because like I said, Hawkinsville was maybe 30 minutes from me. And so we grew up hearing about stories like this. You know, we've heard about hearing stories like that, similar to things like in the LBL and that kind of things. So there's always been a weird sort of paranormal quality to Kentucky. It's just a strange area. And, you know, there's certain jokes here, but there's a lot of quite strangeness in that. But, so anyway, the sheriff was there. Sorry to interrupt you. We're having a little bit of uh, interference on your end. It sounds like there's some crazy feedback going on. Mind if we just uh, give you a call back? Okay, can you hear me now? Uh, not much better. Tell you what, give you a call back in just a second. Sure, bud. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, fascinating case of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. It almost reminds me of the Dover Demon incident here in New England maybe, what, 25, 20, 25 miles from here uh, in Dover, Massachusetts in 1975, uh, 20 years after the uh, Hopkinsville case. And uh, our friend uh, Lauren Coleman investigated that, and people saw a similar figure over two nights uh, in that period, and it was really quite uh, quite bizarre. There was only one figure, and it didn't uh, bother anyone, but there was... Uh, okay, so we have Steve back. Steve, you with us? I am here. Okay. Yes, sir, can you hear me? Still sounds still sounds a little 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 garbled there. Yeah, huh. I'm not sure what's going on. I actually, oh, uh, that sounds better. That's uh, that's, that's better. Yeah, sound like there might be a loose connection or something in there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, sorry about that, folks. Right. Yeah, we always call that. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I apologize. Uh, my dad used to say you're not holding your jaw right. I'm not sure what that means, but it's just how we express it. Okay. Uh, well, continue uh, continue your narrative. It's fascinating stuff. Well, uh, again, <clears throat> once the military became involved. From Fort Campbell, uh, that really kind of sparked the interest of local uh, newspapers and people like that, like the uh, Kentucky New Era. There was a big write-up. Uh, I had, as you know, I'd sent you a few articles and stuff of things that I had found, yeah. mm-hmm. and it was sort of a it was sort of a big deal. And what I hate about it though was, is, you know, there was sort of a ha ha look at these silly hillbillies qual- uh, quality to it, which that's you know as we understand you don't understand something it's scary you kind of you know poo-poo it away or make a joke about it or you know something where you can go oh well, that's not possible or whatnot but um <clears throat> so they went and did all these different little tests and checked things out and again couldn't find anything and finally everybody went home that night well later in the evening apparently they returned and so they had ended up having a real you know Hatfields and McCoy shootout uh, apparently the 
apparently aliens, let me rephrase that, apparently they didn't shoot anything. And in fact, I don't even think they really did anything to anybody other than one time they were leaning over the eve of the home and, re uh, and reached down and kind of touched or kind of scraped across the hair of one of the guys, which, of <laughs> course, he started, you know, bang, you know, making holes and everything around him. And, uh, but apparently that went on to about dawn. And after that, it was just a media circus. You know, you were having people coming from all over, you know, newspaper or television and looky-loos, you know, just people were just clogging the streets up, which is a small community anyway in Kelly. So imagine, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people coming in, blocking the roads, slowing traffic, this and that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a real circus. And uh, the funny thing was mentioning the circus, which just made me remember this, what, some of the people that come in had been traveling around the country doing, they were actually circus performers. And, you know, I've had people speculate, well, maybe it was one of those guys dressed up in a suit because apparently these things could do backflips and were able to run in their hands because their mm -hmm. arms were quite long. And I'm like, well, when I understand it, there was about 12 people, but they were all in-house, in you know, so I'm not sure who those people were. But yet still, I mean, circus performer or not, you get shot in the chest with a 12-gauge, that's going to that's gonna smart. <laughs> so, but, you, but, you know, it's funny, even after all that, and for years and years, you know, the people were kind of, they were kind of like pariahs, man. They were, they were on the outside of things and... Just, you know, in the last X amount of years, did they kind of embrace the story, you know, and, and make make a thing, you know, the Green Man days and all that, which I'm glad to see, you know. Um, too often, and I think this is a reason a lot of people don't report things, they don't want to be laughed at. Right. And, you know, and, and thank goodness, I mean, that was right smack in the middle of the 1950s UFO saucer era of, you know, whatnot. Maybe, maybe the aliens were good, but more often than they're not. And... Just well, that's movies. People don't see that, but everyone they spoke to, you know, because I mean, they would go back and forth. Well, maybe this guy's evidence or his statement is kind of iffy, but like I said, the grandmothers, they said, you know, it was it was solid. You know, they, it didn't waver, it didn't change, it didn't add, it didn't didn't redact. And you know, to this day, Miss Stith, you know, had said that was something they had to carry. I mean, it's bad enough you're a poor family out in the middle of the woods trying to make it you're already kind of economically kind of all on the sidelines and stuff and then you know kind of you kind of become a laughing stock you know they eventually i think put up some sort of uh almost like an admission because people kept coming in getting on their lands and all that which and then some people said that had something to do that kind of made their what's the word i'm looking for uh brought their uh I'm having, a, I'm having a moment. Whatever it is, their, their truthfulness into it, which I don't think so. I'm like this. Look, if they're going to trample up your grounds anyway, you know, you're, you're a poor subsistence farmer. Yeah, if you can make a couple bucks out of it for your trouble, I say go for it. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a very strange area. And like I said again, you know, a lot of Western Kentucky, which most people don't even know about Western Kentucky. Most people know about, you know, where the seat of power is in Frankfurt and Louisville and Lexington in that area. Yeah. Um, you know, up in, the, up in the Cincinnati spots, but close to that. But over here, it's like there's eastern Kentucky and there's western Kentucky, and there's a lot of similarities between the two just because, you know, economically, a lot of times folks are strapped and just trying to make it. And, and there's something about abandoned, lonely places that seems to draw just strange activity. And I'm not saying if you're in the wars of aliens, 
collection of ghosts, or whatever you want to call them, some sort of uh, non-corporeal entities, what they are. I've never tried to make that distinction because I, I just don't know. But it's uh, it's certainly certainly curious and, and compelling stuff. Yes, indeed. Uh, ben uh, has another question, I think, here. I have about, many questions. Uh, to expand our discussion. Sure. So not too far away in Eddyville um, is the Kentucky State Penitentiary. So what did you experience when you worked there? Okay. Um, well, it was sort of, I'll do a real quick preface if I can. Um, sure. My father had worked in there in the 50s. Uh, he was just like a lot of people here, just poor, poor family. And it was one of the jobs. Generally, they don't go on strike. They don't close the doors. And I've never seen them, you know, downsize. Prisons are always you're on here. <laughs> so he got a job down there. And the funny thing was my grandfather had been a counterfeiter and bootlegger, you know, probably 10 or 15 years before he did that. And actually got mad at my father because he said, look, I can't get a job with you being a cop. Because you know, he ended up becoming a, a police officer a police officer and chief of police uh, here in Caldwell and also over in uh, uh, Christian. And he says, well, I mean, you can get a job, just not the type you want. So anyway, that's how my introduction come to that. I heard some stories from my dad, different different things, different darker elements. And my dad didn't really scare. So I'd always stuck in the back of my mind, this place intimidated my dad. That's interesting. Maybe one of these days I'll see it. Um, being that I had years in being, a music, being in music and doing radio and whatnot and construction and whatever, I never thought I'd go there. But once you start having kids... You try to find the most stable job, and that happened to be the most stable job. So, yeah, um, I went there in, I believe it was 97, and started out. Or no, no, no. Actually, I started in 97 at the Farm Center, which is another correctional facility. And then I went into uh, working there in 2003. So, anyway, um, the first thing about it is it, it's modeled on the old Juliet Prison Penitentiary. They wanted it to look the part. They wanted it to be mean. They wanted it to be, they wanted it to strike fear, you know, uh, and it really does. You just feel, you just feel the negativity there. And I'm not saying like uh, some sort of empathic, you don't, you don't have to have an empathic bone or a psychic bone in your head. Uh, if, if you don't feel scared and uneasy going in there, something's wrong with you and you probably need to get out. And um, that was the thing that, first thing that I discovered, we just, you didn't have to see a thing initially, but once I was there, it took me maybe a month or so before I actually had my first encounter. And I didn't have a whole lot, thankfully, but the ones I had were enough. There was a cell house, and it was built, you know, like in the old-timey ones where they would have, like, multiple floors, and they would have, like, the half wall or the half rail and then an open kind of center. It was like that. And so there would be from, I think, I'm trying to remember, it's been a few years from like 15 down to 20, there was prison side because there was a left side and then there was a right side. And prison side was toward the prison. Riverside was toward the Cumberland, the Cumberland River. Anyway, um, I started noticing something down on 20 Walk, which is a single walk. It's uh, now a meritorious walk that's usually for kitchen workers and early morning workers because they get out first, they have to go to work early, and that way you're not letting them out all over waking everybody up. They're just on one walk. So anyway, uh, I kept noticing this dimming, flickering sort of thing going on. Uh, it wasn't from the lights, because the lights were staying solid. It was uh, it was almost like a mirage on a hot road. And, you know, this is 
maybe 10 o'clock at night. There was nothing going on. No one, no one, nobody was awake. And um, so this went from sort of a shimmering blackness, and it formed a um, kind of a, a cohesive, I don't want to call it an orb because it was solid and it gave off light. Orbs are obviously, I mean, that's probably getting me an argument with a bunch of people, but generally orbs are dust clouds or artifacts on the digital digital recording or something. This was live in a conventional type security camera, and it glued, it probably got to the size of about a, like a small beach ball, not like a, like you're going to a concert beach ball, but you know, like a two, two and a half foot round orb. And so I'm like, wow. So the officer was up on the walk officer because I was in the control center. The walk officer was up on the higher walks. And I'm like, so I'm studying this and I radioed the guy. I said, where are you at? You know, because he, he was just, had just come off one of the walks and was in the back stairway. And he says, I'm up on 50 or up on uh, 16. So, okay, so if you don't mind in a bit, swing down here and check something out by the showers. Okay, it's no big deal. So, anyway, this goes on. The orb comes closer toward the camera. And understand I'm looking for wires. I'm looking for any sort of shadows in the doorways of the cells. There's nothing. This thing comes forward probably about five feet from where the camera's at. It kind of does almost like a figure eight motion. with, And it almost has sort of a tail. You ever seen like, if you go... Real fast with something, it looks blurry. But it almost looked like it was like a comet. It was extremely, it was weird. And so it did that a time or two, and it shot toward the camera to the left, and it disappeared. And it was actually so bright it shut my camera down. It was like it was it overpowered the camera, and it went out for a second, and then the contrast come back and it come back on. Um, so I'm like, wow, okay, I don't know what I just seen. The guy comes down, walks around. I said, was there hot pots on? Was there anybody up there? Smoking? Was there anybody? That, you know, I'm trying to think of anything. I don't know why it would glow like that. But I'm thinking, is there anybody? Is there anything going on? They're like, no, everyone's out. So I'm like, <clears throat> okay. And he's like, what? What? You, you look uncomfortable. What's the problem? I said, no, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, you'll think I'm crazy. He says, no, 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 just try me. So I told him what I saw, and he said, yeah, it's like like a big glowing ball. I said, yeah. And he says, that sounds about right. So I'm taken back, thinking he's joking and you know playing with me i'm like look man i'm not crazy no no i don't think you're crazy at all that's what you're going to see on that walk you're going to hear yells and screams on the upper walks where people's got thrown off that's ksp you know I said, welcome to it kid and there's been other people that's seen similar things except what they saw in the orb kind of morphed into what would be like almost like a human skull and people have walked out they put their badge down and said i'm out you know, I had I had kids, so I didn't have that luxury. Uh, I'm not saying I didn't want to leave, but you know, it was one of those deals. Either you learn to accept it and work around it, or you go. What did you think that trip. was? Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, I, I researched a little bit more and found out that okay, like a lot of older institutions that have been reused for different things. Different locations had different, you know, uses. And at that time, or years and years before that, that had been the Death Walk Ward, where all the guys on Death Row was, when we had less Death Walk people. And supposedly, there had been a stabbing between two different Death Row people. And around where that formed is where apparently the person got stabbed. Now, is that conclusive proof of nothing? Absolutely not. But it's it's odd. You know, and uh, 
you know, they actually had ended up, I've heard, can't confirm that, I had heard that they took the people off Death Walk because they were complaining so much, threatening to sue because they were saying it was haunted. And they ended up putting it in a new cell house. Yeah. Which, but then again, think about it. Some of these guys will sue over whatever, over a rainy day. Um, so, but yeah, it was, it was definitely strange. How big is this triangle you mentioned originally, uh, Steve, the uh, Kentucky Triangle you referred to earlier? Well, like I said, if, if you go from, okay, just below me in Lyon County, which actually is where the penitentiary is at, you know, that connects right into the land between the lakes preserve that goes all the way from just above there in Draftonville, that area, all the way down into Dover, Tennessee. And that whole area is you know, been a very large part. I mean, this is a thriving community before they had taken it out and dammed part of it up to bring water into western Kentucky. It was kind of like the Brother Arthur thing, you know, they set it everything foolish, you know. So um, it goes from all the way down from that area up to around Louisville, which, of course, is where Waverly is, and back down toward where there's Stanford, Kentucky, which is where the Stanford, Kentucky UFO event happened. And before... I mean, again, growing up, I loved folklore. I loved history. I loved curious stuff, like in search of and whatnot. I, I just, I don't know. I grew up, I grew up creepy. I don't know what to say. Um, I mean, I love, I mean, I love to fish and all that stuff too, and all that, and catch crawdads and all that sort of stuff country kids do. But there, that was always there. But I never realized the just the immensity of how much weird, quirky stuff happened in Kentucky. You know, and, I mean, that's including them finding. You know, in Adair County where they found giant skeletal skeletal remains, all this sort of stuff. A lot of stuff in Indian mounds or Native yeah. American mounds, pardon me. Yeah, the Adena culture so. came down through there. Uh, well, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break right now. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON. 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our fascinating guest, Steve E. Asher. Stick with us. Welcome to the Scrooge Auditions. I'm Kurt Columbus. Nairobi. Nick, you're first. Cratchit. Offer no interest. Um, no. Ron? Cratchit. Give them same-day mattress eye delivery. Yeah, no. Ebenezer. Come and buy a bed. You're Ebenezer. Cottage Furniture presents Trinity Reps of Christmas Carol this holiday season. Kurt, how about we read for Tiny Tim? Uh, we tried that. Next! Hard to believe Christmas is coming close. Anyway, we're back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in the beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we are talking with Steve Asher of Kentucky. And before we get back to our conversation with Steve, I just wanted to mention uh, several of the charities that we have adopted on the show. Uh, we'll mention those uh, in more detail at the end and in the announcement period, but you can find out more at our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And they include, of course, especially today, two veterans charities, one U.S. and one Canadian, uh, USACares.org and Canadian Veterans Advocacy, both of whose uh, organizers we know and uh, we can vouch for. So let's get back to our conversation with Steve. And, uh, Steve, uh, we were talking about the, the size of the Kentucky Triangle there, and uh, I don't know if you agree with our theories that these things are all connected because of parallel world intersect points at certain places on the globe that can move and this sort of thing. Uh, the closest we've gotten to Kentucky is the Panther Rock. Well, I'd seen Kentucky. The, the Panther Rock 
area of in eastern Kentucky where there we believe there is a flap area. And to us, and I'd like your thoughts on this, to us, the uh, the notion of the triangle and even the flap area is kind of arbitrary. But you have to it's it gives you a research base and you you can start researching the area. So, but we find it difficult, obviously, to tell where phenomena. Uh, begin where phenomena that are associated with the triangle end and where just other stuff that happens routinely around the planet begins. Um, do you, do you think that the, uh, the notion of the triangle is too arbitrary and do you agree with our ideas that these things are all connected because of intersect points in the multiverse? Man, that's, that's a mouthful. Okay, let me, let me say this first. Um, I use it, use the triangle just like you said as a very basic idea of point from point. Uh, of course, obviously things happen within and outside of that, but I'm doing, talking about mainly the ones that are either best well known or has been the most researched. Sure. Um, I do, I do think that there are locations where things seem to intersect. Um, I mean, obviously the Mammoth Cave system is a, is a massive under, underground system that runs, you know, from eastern down through western Kentucky and, and further down. Uh, we actually have part of the uh, Mammoth Cave system here in Princeton, Kentucky. It, it runs through here. And um, I think anytime you deal with energies, and I, I I don't really consider myself particularly religious or spiritual, but, you know, I, for whatever reason I feel this is true. You know, we're all electrical-based. Everything yeah. has a certain electromagnetic field. Everything is affected by electromagnetics, good, good or bad. And there are certain areas when, you know, there's a lot of quartz and limestone here. Obviously, that you know, crystals collect energy and frequencies. You have running water; it has its own frequency. All these things tied in together, especially when you have certain areas where curious, curious things have happened and high strangeness have occurred. It seems like like attracts light, and it seems that bizarre events tend to draw bizarre events. And it's sort of a self a self uh, fulfilling prophecy to a point. And I'm sure there's a certain component of just the human animal in that, but. Even even before there were a lot of people here, I mean, there's always been stories of you know wild men and you know thunderbird sightings and lizard men, you know, all kinds of all kinds of really bizarre, strange things that at one time would have kind of been laughed off. And I'm not saying that I think everybody is reptilian. I'm not saying it, okay, but there have been quite a few, you know, sightings, reports, whatnot, and it sort of overlaps paranormal stuff, alien stuff. You know, or paranormal meaning like ghostly or whatever. People, a lot of times this happens at night. A lot of times they get you in your bed. A lot of times something goes through a wall in both of those, in anything like that. And it seems like you said there are certain focal points in certain little at times and spaces, almost like there's a window for that type of energy. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's just as plausible as anything else. Uh, again, I can't say what any of that is because I just don't know. I, I would be, I'd be a liar if I did. But. Yeah. Well, very, very well put, Steve. Uh, let's get into some more phenomena here. What, what uh, Bigfoot is big in Kentucky, as we, in our experience, and uh, what, what uh, sorts of Bigfoot or and or cryptid events? Uh, I know there are upright canine cryptid reports, things like this. What sort of cryptid things are going on in the Western Kentucky area? Well, you know that's so funny. Um, there's a guy, and I'm not sure if you if you're familiar with him, uh, a guy by the name of Kirk Stokes. And I heard of him. I, had actually, I don't know him. Yeah. Well, he 
he's kind of quiet. I, I kind of call him uh, the paranormal Bigfoot because he's just he's very quiet. And it's uh, <laughs> it took me it took me a couple of years for him to kind of know me and and you know to kind of open up because even people sometimes are playing with you, sometimes they're trying to get something out of you, sometimes they're trying to find out where you where your locations are so they can go stop it up. And so you have to you know just like anybody you have to have a certain amount of uh, certain amount of wall up to protect yourself and protect your research. And, uh, but no, he had, he had spoken about, especially around Danville, Kentucky, you know, a lot of knocks, a lot of this and that, um, you know, prints, things like that. And he had, I'd asked him about, again, the LBL, Land Between the Lakes area, and he talked about it. he had come here before because they had talked about, like, the beast of the LBL or the Bigfoot of the LBL because there's two, there's two or three different types, supposedly, here. There's some that are more like a classical, you know, Yowie or Bigfoot or whatever type creature. There's another one that's more like a dogman. And there's supposedly just recently sightings of something that appears to be a hybrid of both. I'm not sure how that is. I don't know if that's maybe a shape some sort of pan-dimensional entity is taking or maybe it's, good Lord, I mean, it could have been engineered in a, you know, some sort of program. Who knows, you know, yeah. look at it, something like a Montauk or a, Something like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's really strange. But yeah, I mean, there's a really a lot of that, that a lot of that going on here. More than I realize. I actually have a, a good friend of mine, Lucas Freilich, who's a, a member of my team, and his family has like a lot of kind of out there land, you know, way out in the woods. It's not really farmland; it's too hilly, it's just wild. And uh, we were actually talking about some activity he was having out there, and it seems like. You know, I'm talking like from Knox, rocks being thrown, you know, classic Bigfoot, you know, as we know it, you know, activity. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about that it seems like it kind of knows, like you start going to certain areas, and it may be just because it can smell you like any other animal or any other creature whatever, but it seems like a lot of times it will change its behaviors. And then once it seems like you're not around, it comes back. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. So... Because I've heard people have said, well, maybe Bigfoot is a ghost. Maybe it's a repeat of something that lived here a long time ago, like a Gigantopithecus or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, to, to me, that's a little out there. You know, yeah. uh, you always hear the joke, why is it always, you know, 17th century, you know, women in white dresses that are ghosts? Why isn't there somebody, you know, with like a man knot, you know, we call it a man bun walking around, or somebody from the 80s with one of those brick phones, you know. But um, I don't know what that is. And maybe the way things appear is the way we, we our perception wants it to be, and it, and it comes to us is what we want. I don't know. Yeah, well, what we think we bring as much to a paranormal experience as whatever we're experiencing brings to it, you know, and uh, kind of meet there. What you uh, get out is what you put in. Effectively, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, well, preconceived notions are. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but preconceived notions are huge. I mean, you walk into. Okay, I'm from the South, obviously, so I can say this. Um, a lot of times you'll have people go, oh, there's this and that's going on, pipes rattling. It's a demon. No, it's, it's probably a bad bracket. But, you know, if you think it's going to be a demon, any any stuff that you get, you know, you're going to go, ah, it's a demon. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you you have to really come into it with, with an open mind about it. And because there's been times, you know, I thought, you know, Oh, man, this really seems like it might be this. And then later on, with fresh eyes, 
a different perspective. It's like, oh, well, I didn't really think about it like that. You know, um, you can't go into it. You can't go into it as a believer. Because like I said, you believe in ghosts. I says no. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in Santa Claus. I don't believe in, I believe in love. You know, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, right. you know, so. Well, but yeah, yeah. Um, here, this is well. Let's go a little deeper into this, Steve. Now, you've I'm sure interviewed. You've had experiences yourself, and you've interviewed many witnesses. And uh, we're always interested in what the witness, not just what the witness perceived, but what the witness felt and experienced other you know, during the perception. You know, even physically. Uh, for example, um, I had a Bigfoot sighting in Pennsylvania in 2016, and I felt privileged and honored and very much at peace during that. Uh, a little girl, uh, a year later, or I should say, uh, yeah, a year later, uh, in the road below where I was, had a Bigfoot sighting, was absolutely terrified, okay? Um, other we, other people we've interviewed from Kentucky talk about Bigfoot walking through a, a herd of deer, and the deer were totally unaffected by it. Uh, and another occasion, the deer were terrified and ran away. And our idea, and our, our question is, um, I, I suppose you can't ask the deer this, but with the people, did they have feelings of unreality, fear, tingling, or what we call the Leinster effect? Uh, in other words, it's like a, an old slide from an old slide projector. There's, there's, a, there's just a, a tiny instant of blackness, and it's like you're kind of in a different world or a different version of the same world where you have the experience and then it goes back with or without the Leinster effect. I mean, these are all open questions, but uh, what did you feel in that vein during your experiences and have people you have interviewed about their experiences reported anything like that? Well, generally, like I said, you know, at least in that one particular incident, uh, incident um, because it was on a screen, there was a certain unreality to it. Uh, it was it was very bizarre because I was able to look down from where I was at down the staircase and there was no lights, there was no shadows, there was nothing, there was no sound, none of it. Um, but I could not visibly see down onto the walk. I could only see at the gateway into the walkway. But um, now, I mean, I and other people that I've had inter- or had interviews with, especially only for the books and whatnot, would report sort of like. They thought maybe the lights went off. And I'm like, well, so let me get the prison tapes. I can't verify that. But I've had a handful of those. And you, you were talking about that, the fact of if things like go black or things. Are you familiar with scrying at all? Where, you know, people will like study a mirror or something like that. And they'll say the edges of the mirror kind of darken. Yeah. It's like tunnel vision. It looks like you're going to pass out. It's almost like that, you know, and this might be a totally natural phenomenon of the body reacting to almost a, almost a sheer shock. You know, um, because you step so far out of your comfort zone. Yeah, people react different ways. No, fight or flight, and and both both are completely legitimate. You know, I don't cast mm-hmm. stones, but a lot of times, yeah, there is that sort of strange. Uh, there's a thing, sort of like a shudder or a tremble, not like a scared, but it's almost like a like a vibration, like you know, like you've ever went to a concert. And right in front of a speaker, and it's like, and, and you can feel it in your chest. Yeah, you can feel it. I mean, you can feel it in your teeth. You can feel it in your hair if you got any. Sure. Um, so <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't. So, but uh, it's a thing where um, well, Ben doesn't either. So. Yeah. yeah, we're in the but, same boat there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. that's all right. 
but uh, it was a thing where there's a a visceral, immediate, physical response to whatever it is. It's it's got enough power, enough energy, in whatever form, to make you to, to elicit a response that's tangible. It's not just like a maybe a hair on your arms or a something like that. It it's it's I can't even call it fear because it goes beyond that. It's um, it's I don't know. It's just a bizarre. Like you don't feel anywhere near top of the food chain. You don't feel anywhere near safe. Yes, and it's not. You know, I I, I try to put it into words. It's really hard to explain it to somebody. It's just like um, it's the most helpless feeling, and but you feel it all. It's not a thing like some people can disconnect. Like say you've went through a traumatic experience or a beating. Sometimes people can close their minds off of it, but most people can't do that from from these types of experiences, I'm, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Maybe they go too deep. Maybe they, you, you are locked into the experience, but for whatever reason, you have to go through the experience. You have to see or deal with whatever. That's and I don't know why that is. Yeah. Steve, uh, before we burn up the hour here, uh, tell us uh, about your website, your books, and where people can find out more about them and where they can get the books. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, if you go to steveeasher.com, it's all lowercase together, so like Steve with an extra E, asher.com. Uh, you can go there and you can find out about my books, which is through Permuted Press, and which goes through Simon & Schuster. And again, that was Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, Hauntings of the Western Lunatic Asylum, which was the original name of the hospital. Yeah. Uh, it's now called the Western State Hospital. Obviously, they changed it after World War One when they started getting soldiers in. And they said, our boys aren't, you know, they're not lunatics, they're fighting men, so let's change it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find, find me under Stevie Ash on Facebook, on Twitter, on Tumblr, and if, if I can mention my little thing that I do, my House of Asher thing, you can find that on YouTube through Conflict Radio, and, uh, you know, contact me at I-L-A-S-H-E-R-S, that's eyelashers, at yahoo.com. Okay, very good. Okay, uh, let's get back. We're fascinated by uh, the cryptid thing, not only in Kentucky, but just about anywhere. Are you, um, have you thought much about why, I'm sure you have, as we have, they, they seem to come and go, whether it be Bigfoot or some of the canines, whatever, even in populated areas, like we're in Rhode Island, which is surprisingly rural in many areas, but nevertheless, you know, it's, very, it's you know, 48 miles long and 37 miles wide. Uh, there's a lot of room for a huge mammal to go undetected. So, and yet, uh, I've, I have friends in the National Guard back in the day who swore that they saw it within, you know, 30 feet when they were uh, on exercises down in the what we call the Great Swamp area in southern Rhode Island, you know, not far from the ocean. So, uh, why do you feel, that, why do you think um, that they would come and go and undetected in populated areas? Which they sometimes do. Well, I mean, again, it goes back to what do you feel these creatures are? Do you feel that they're physical flesh and blood beings? You know, which again, they've never found a body. I mean, there's been back and forth about guys having them in freezers and whatnot, but nothing conclusive and nothing that I've, that I've seen been able to touch. Sure. Um, you know, it to me it goes back to is this a you know pan dimensional being or is it what we're seeing? like the veil between this and maybe another world. There could be another Earth just like this, but it's inhabited by these hominid-type creatures 
different fantastical beasts and whatnot, that that is their normal. Maybe they maybe they've got people doing paranormal research going, Have you seen these guys? They're pink and they walk around, they got cell phones. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I it mean, could but, be. Yeah. Uh, the natives we always we always talk to the natives and to hunters when we're uh, in hunt when in wilderness areas because they see everything. And um, what are some of the native traditions about the paranormal in western Kentucky? Well, you know, that's what's so funny is a lot of the native cultures here were like mound builders, Mississippian culture. Very interesting culture, yeah. Very neat. And, you know, I know that there are connections to wild men, you know, wild men of the woods and things like that. And, but, you know, like, especially if you start getting more into the closer to central, it kind of, as far as I know, it opens up more and it's not as touched on. And I think that's because Kentucky was really considered a sacred place. You come here and you hunt it and you did this now and maybe you lived along the riverbanks, but into the heart of it, you left it alone. Because even then, these people knew that it was a strange and mysterious area. And it's so funny because, you know, it depends on who you talk to. It's like, What's so strange about trailers and overalls? But deep into the woods, the, the, the real, the real stuff, the ancient woods, the stuff nobody touches. You know, there's power there, and it's it's. You know, I don't want to sound try to sound all deep and mystical, but no, spend some time out in it. Yeah, but it's there's a beauty to it too. It's not all fear, but mm-hmm. again, I think you get what you bring to it. Um, you know, there were, of course, obviously stories about wild men and things like that, and people working living kind of almost in a harmonious thing where it's like okay we do this we go here you hunt this type of animal you hunt these type of plants and it's almost like they had their own kind of gatherer hunter gatherer thing going on with them but because they maybe didn't encroach as much and maybe there wasn't this well hey let's go kill these guys and hang them up on a wall or stick them in a museum maybe for whatever reason they seemed more in tune with it you know and maybe yeah. maybe due to that it wasn't as like, like we're amazed like oh my goodness it's just like taking a cell phone back to 1800 that's all they would talk about and we're like what I'm, I'll, I'll find one in a trash can like a razor flip or something and going oh my gosh this is amazing so, man, I got rid of that thing five years ago so um, I think it's a, it's a cultural thing and, and I believe they just they just walked it differently I think they felt closer to and then you know, I'm kind of making a blanket assumption for a culture that's not mine, so forgive me if I, if I do this wrong, but I believe this is a thing of going, look, they're animals, we're all, you know, we're all kind of animals to the point, and we have to respect one another, and I think that's why most of what I understand is there was a a symbiotic thing. Yeah, okay. One of the things we noticed, particularly with cryptids, uh, in, and with I'm thinking of the Pennsylvania Triangle, where we've done a lot of work for the last two years, uh, there seems to be a relationship or at least proximity between strange lights and this in the sky and on the ground and appearances of bigfoot or bigfoot like creatures uh, have you noticed what what seems to be a pattern or a relationship or at least a proximity with such lights and cryptid sightings or any sort of sight any any sort of paranormal experiences uh in your area sure well you know that's so funny cuz um I'm actually working on you know, like I say, you know how when you, when you write a book, you have this one out, then you have the next one out, and then you're working on the third or the fourth one. So yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah, I'm still working. Going. Right, right. You always got to keep you know meat in the in the sausage in the sausage <laughs> machine. Right. Called. 
But because um, like I said, I have two more that touch on hauntings of, but then I'm also working on a book about all the Kentucky counties. And there's a lot of overlap, like you said, between ghost lights, uh, be it ghost trains, be it swamp lights, be it, um, I'm actually writing one about what they called, uh, called slave lights. But it ties in with different sightings of large, like white-haired looking creatures, almost um, almost like a great great ape, but with very thin arms, very wiry, but covered in this hair. Um, it does seem to be there's there's a go between between that, but it, again, it touches on a lot with the UFO thing. It also touches on with you know ghosts. It also touches on with cryptids. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it's all one big connected thing which we're all connected anyway but mm-hmm. i think the activity if it's not all the same thing in just different forms i definitely think that there is be it a precursor like maybe they'll see all energy before a manifestation so they would talk about like that, that, that old banshee myth and whatnot you know there seems to be precursors to a lot of this or after effects aftershocks and you know because we have had, like you said, you were talking about that and having lights and, and shadows and whatnot. In, uh, around this area, you would have, like, ghost lights on the train tracks. Because, you know, there used to be a lot of hobos that would come through everywhere. And then people would still talk about seeing people walking the tracks at night. There's nobody there and this and that and have ghost lights. Just like in LBL. There's a lot of that. A lot of that. And it was, it was actually to the point where they, as I understand, blocking off some of the deeper old farmland areas because people kept wanting to go down there at night and mess around and which you, you know you always want to get permission for you to do that there's yeah, that's absolutely that's 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 one-on-one stuff but yeah um it yeah there's just stuff like that here and i think that's probably more common than people if they just kind of put the dots together they'll see how common that is yeah there's mm-hmm. a lot of that Okay. So we kind of been have been doing this thing um, the last couple of shows. Well, actually, I guess kind of on and off for the last year and a half, where we sort of ask any any of our our very very serious researchers that we bring on our show. You know, kind of what the, the state of research is today. So, in in your opinion, what is kind of the state of you know sort of the, the broad scope of paranormal research today? Wow. Uh, you know, it's one of these things. I'm 48, and um, you know, I've been doing this for for a little while. And there's a lot of new stuff coming out, a lot of new technologies coming out, um, and things like that, which are great. I'm still very much a foot, a feet on the ground, kind of trust your initial gut on a lot of stuff. Uh, just you know how it is, you know, being military based, police based, law enforcement based. You learn to, you have to learn to trust your gut. And nine times out of ten, I'm generally feel that I'm in, the, I'm in the ballpark. Um, I think it's great. I think it's wonderful that there's umpteen zillion teams doing stuff, but then there's also umpteen zillion teams. You know, some of them aren't doing stuff respectfully. Some of the times they're not. I think sometimes you're going in there for just either the pure thrill of it or the pure science of it, or some people go into it for the pure spiritualistic aspect of it. And I think you go all in on any of those in your you're missing the big picture. I think you have to include all of it, and you have to be completely open to whatever is out there. And to, you know, you can try out new technologies, you can try out new new theories, but you have to kind of go with what is right for you. I mean, I use, you know, you'll probably laugh, but, 
you know, a lot of times in investigations, we've used dowsing rods. We've used different things like that um, because that's part of our old, old-timey old culture, you know, and also there's no batteries to drain. But I think um, as, as long as you honor the past but move toward the future, I think you're fine. I know that sounds like a kind of generic answer, but I would I would like to see a bit of a move back to treating whatever these things are with a little bit more respect as opposed to kind of a spectacle aspect to it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just me personally, and maybe it's just, I don't know, because, you know, I've, I've got people on the other side, and I would hate for them to be harassed and, you know, the whole kind of come at me bro thing. I don't like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be everybody. No one's going to agree. I mean, you know that. There's so much division in, in paranormal camps, it's ridiculous. Mm, and yeah. and it's this is a place where we're supposed to be learning. This is a place where we're supposed to be open to ideas. This is a place we're supposed to embrace, you know, the possibilities of other realities and other mindsets. And anyway, I'm done preaching. But Well, no, we should stand in awe. That was very well put. Couldn't yeah. agree more. Absolutely. Steve, give us your uh, website one more time. Sure. It's steveeasher.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-E-A-S-H-E-R.com. That's terrific. Well, thank you for your service, and uh, thank you for a great discussion today. Yeah. And you have a terrific radio voice. We're going to have you back for sure. Oh, yeah. Not just because of the voice, okay? So uh, well, we'll be you. in touch. Yeah, we'll be in touch off the air. Hey, guys. All right. Thank you so much. God bless, and have a great day. And, and all you listeners, I'm so glad we got to got to uh, talk today, and God bless. Terrific. Okay. Uh, 2018 is almost over. Uh, and our first event of 2019, at least so far, will be an encore at the Town of Prospect Senior Center in Connecticut on April 23rd. We'll keep you posted as details develop. That is quite a beautiful place, too. Active, active group. Uh, my next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist pa- uh, Parasites, I sh- I'm sorry, Poltergeist Parasites in Parallel Worlds, has gone to the publisher. I'm told it won't be released for, actually, I- I'm told it will be released as soon as they, they can next year, which is probably going to be uh, fall uh, at the earliest, so maybe about a year, but we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, ben? Alrighty, so you can get our 2016 book, uh, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, on Amazon, Kindle, and uh, Apple iTunes now. And it's also available in stores as well, and you can also get all of our books in print form as well. You can order them online from either of our two websites, uh, BehindTheParanormal.com or NewEnglandGhosts.com. And you can certainly check out uh, information on that website, uh, all our many cases over the years, and there are over 800 free recorded shows from our 10-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, also on our websites, uh, the charities we started to mention before, um, especially today, Veterans Day and Remembrance Day, USA Cares. Dot org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, and also some great charities. Uh, again, we know the organizers of these, and the, the money goes where it's supposed to. Helping Haiti's Orphans, uh, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, and um, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. So please check that out. What do we got next week, Ben? Alrighty, so next week, uh, that is November 18th, inching closer and closer to the holidays, uh, here on WOON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM, uh, we'll talk with mental health professional Jerry uh, Marzinski about the influence of paranormal parasites in mental illness. And uh, behavioral scientist Lori Greer will co-host with us on this very important topic. And it is a very important topic. You're going to be hearing more about it. I don't know if we have time for our quote. Uh, probably not. Okay. No, I don't think so. But it All was right. a good try. It was a good try. 
Save it for next week. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.